Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Yeah, <laughs> just like we planned it. Um, thank you, guys. Um, so we finally have the plans back from the architect. We actually have things happening out on the property. The survey has begun, um, and, and we're shooting for a time to start construction of spring next year, like maybe April. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's finally starting to move and happen, and like... And sometimes I look at that and I'm like, oh, Lord, for many reasons. <laughs> um, one, because I know the expense involved with something like that, but also because I love what we have here so much that I'm like, God. But the truth is, is like I had that same fear and prayer and seeking the Lord. We went from one service to two. I'm like, Lord, I don't want to lose what the, the family feel. I don't want to lose what it feels like right now with, with us just having one service and all being together for one service. And, and we went to two services and we didn't. And then when it was time to go to three, I'm like, oh God, I don't want to lose what we have. And I'm just realizing that like it's not the, the building, it's not the structures, it's not the systems, it's not the, the, the size of the room. It's none of those things that makes our church family what it is. It's the heart that we have for him and his heart for us. And I'm like, God, wouldn't it be amazing if we could all be together in one room just going for it together instead of split up into three different services? And so um, anyways, that's what you're sowing and we've been sowing into, but that's what we're sowing into right now is not so much um, a building, but it's, it's an idea that there's, there's more people that God wants to send. I mean, you guys don't see it because you come to first if you come to first story, but second service, people are leaving because it's too full. Third service is full. And here's the thing with, with that, too, is like we're praying for the church next door to grow. Like we're praying for God to bless their ministry and for people to come and have their lives changed by the gospel. And right now, we're using a ton of rooms over there for our kids that, that if our prayers are answered and, and if his heart for their church to grow starts to happen, which we think it's going to believe it will, like we're going to not have room over there. And, and that's going, we believe that's going to happen, and we want that to happen. We want the day to come where it's like there is no room over there for our kids because it's all full of their kids and their adults. And, and so um, it, the Lord is amazing and has blessed us with a way to be able to continue to grow um, and, and, and not have another building, but at some point we, we need a bigger place. And so um, we'll be starting hopefully construction in April. We're, we're going to do it without taking a loan. Um, we just feel like we're supposed to do it without taking on any debt. We, we preach being debt-free, um, and so we, we never want to say something from stage that we're not living in our lives, and ever. Um, and so we have some money saved, but we're going to need a lot more. But we're just believing that like, as we're saving, for the, we're going to have enough to start. And as we're saving um, and doing what we have the money for, the money will come in for the next phase. We're doing phase. We're going to do as much things on as we can ourselves um, with all the different trades and skills that we have represented in the church. Um, and it's going to be an exciting thing, but, but we need you to join with us in prayer. Um, just for, for A, for the provision, but B, just for the way to... to to do it in a, it, where, where we never take our eyes off of what's important, where we never lose sight of what's important. I, I, I promise, I honestly feel like this. I feel like you could put us in the biggest room in the world, and if our church family's in there together, like there's going to be nothing different because it's not the size of the room. It's not the place that we meet. It's never been about that. 
It's always been about seeking the Lord, the presence of God, and getting together to go after him and to love him and to love each other and to see people's lives changed. And that's never going to change. Um, but man, would it be nice to be able to just do it once every Sunday. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? And then there's this big space out in the front where everyone can hang out afterwards and no one has to like get pushed out because the next group's coming in, you know? And, 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 and here's the thing, like God is so amazing that I, someone told me, they're like, well, you know, now we have a time clock. Is that, you know, is that kind of limiting the Holy Spirit? I'm like, look, you guys, the Holy Spirit knew the clock was coming before we did. He didn't seem to be afraid of it. We probably shouldn't be either. He's seen that building long before we did. We probably shouldn't be afraid of it. We probably should be excited about it. Yeah. So, Father, I just pray that you would bless this offering today, God. That you'd bless not just this offering, but, but the businesses that are represented, the homes that are represented, the lives and the hours that are represented in this, this offering that we give. God, would you bless them? Would you rain your favor down on them? God, would they be a, a place where your presence dwells? God, that far more than any financial blessing that you could pour out, that they would be a place of peace, that they would be a place of joy, that they would be a place of love, that they would be, the businesses represented here and the, and the homes represented here, God, would be places where your presence rests. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That's kind of exciting, isn't it? We'll, we'll put that on the website, and that way you guys can, can see it again if you want to. Um, if you have your Bibles, which you should, um, open to 2 Kings chapter 4. And I say that because, honestly, like, I, I feel like every one of us needs to realize we need to be in the Word. Like, you need to be reading the Bible. You need to be consuming his word. You need to be reading his word. You need to let his word read you. You need to open yourself up to the word even as you open the word up to you. Um, and when you read things, like don't just read over them and then think of what a good thing that would be for so-and-so to read. No, we do that sometimes, right? We're like, man, I wish so-and-so would read that chapter. It's like, yeah, but you're the one reading it. So maybe the Lord had something to say to you. Um, if you, yeah, open up to 2 Kings chapter 4. Um, we're going to actually read quite a bit of scripture. And we're staying in that same kind of vein of what we've been talking about. Um, and I'll, I'll, get, I'll, I'll talk about that a little more in a second. But 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8 says, Now, when, now there came a day when Elisha passed over to Shunem. There was an, a prominent woman, and she persuaded him to eat food. And so it was, as often as he passed by, he turned in there to eat food. She said to her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is a holy man of God passing by us continually. Please, let us make a little walled upper chamber, and let us set a bed for him in there, and a table, and a chair, and a lampstand. And it shall be that when he comes to us, that he can turn in there. One day he came there and turned into the upper chamber and rested. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call the Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. He said to, he said to him, Say now to her, Behold, you have, been careful with, you have been careful for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Would you be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the army? And she answered, I live in my own peop, among my own people. So he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, truly she has no son and her husband is old. He said, call her. When he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, at this next season, at this season next year, you will embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. The woman conceived and bore a son at that season the next year, as Elisha had said to her. 
When the child was grown, the day came that he went out to his father, to his father, to the reapers. He said to his father, my head, my head. And, and he said to his servant, carry him to his mother. When she had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat, her, uh, he sat on her lap until noon and then died. She went up and laid, down the bed, laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. Then, he called to her, then she called to her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and return. He said, why will you go to him today? It's neither new moon nor Sabbath. She said, it will be well. Then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, drive and go forward. Do not slow the pace for me unless I tell you. So she went and came to the man of God to Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her at a distance, he said to Gehazi, his servant, behold, there's the Shunammite. Please run now to meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, it is well. When she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught hold of his feet, and Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, let her alone, for her soul is troubled within her. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Then she said, did I ask for a son, my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, gird up your loins and take my staff in your hand and go your way. If you meet any man, do not salute him. And if anyone salutes you, do not answer him and lay my staff on the lad's face. The mother of the lad said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And he arose and followed her. So then Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff on the lad's face, but there was no sound or response. So he turned, returned to meet him and told him, the lad is not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, behold, the lad was dead and laid on the bed. So he entered and shut the door behind them both and prayed to the Lord. So Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this amazing Bible that we can open up and, and we can see not just who you were, God, but who you are and who you will be. And Father, I pray today that as, as I speak from your word, that your spirit would speak through me. God, that I would never be standing up here giving my words and my opinion. God, but that, that you would speak through me and that we would have ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to receive your word. That it would go deep into the, the soil of our heart, God, and it would begin to bear fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So, there's this man, Elisha, and back in those days, in, in the old days, um, before the the crucifixion before the Spirit of God came, before all of us became temples filled with the Spirit of God. There was usually just a few men, uh, maybe a man, who the Spirit of God rested upon, and they would speak on God's behalf. These were the prophets of old, and, and they carried the presence of God. He rested upon them, and everywhere they went, the presence of God was there. And when they spoke, they would speak God's word to people, and it was as if God himself was speaking. And so this man begins to pass through an area, and this woman recognizes this is a man of God. She sees something about him. She recognizes the presence of God on his life. She recognizes what he carries. She hears his words, and she doesn't just hear his words as another man speaking. She realizes when he speaks, it's as if God is speaking. And so she says to her husband, let's, let's feed him. First, she just gives him something to eat, and so he starts to come. And that's what happens a lot of times in our lives. It's like we recognize the presence of God, and it becomes something that, that we have this, this, this desire for. And so it becomes something that kind of rests and comes and goes in and out of our lives. And, 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 and so that's kind of what happens with her at first. But after a while, she's like, I don't just want this sometimes thing where he just comes and leaves quickly. I want him to stay longer. 
I, I'm not okay just, just, just sensing his presence when I'm around other people. I want to be able to get alone in a room and sense it. I'm not okay when, when, the, when the strongest presence of God that I sense is when I'm in, in a church service. I, I need this in my home. And, and, and so she says, I want to make our home a place where the presence of God can dwell. And, and, and I think it's interesting that it wasn't just a bed that she put in there. Because I saw what she put, and she put a chair and a table and a lampstand and a lamp and a bed. So there's a place where the presence of God can rest, but there's also room for the presence of God to do something, to accomplish something, for work to be done. She said, I want to make our home a place where, where the presence of God can come and rest, but I want to make it a place where the presence of God can come and do something. And so she makes this room for Elisha, and Elisha comes there and begins to, every time he's passing through, he stops and he stays. And, and, and after a while, he looks around and he's thinking to himself, I, I'd, I'd really like to, to do something for this woman. Now, I find this part of the story super interesting. As I was reading and studying the story, this started in me a few months ago. I was talking to Zach, and we were talking about the story, but he was talking all from the perspective of Elisha because that's, that's what drew him into the story. But as I was reading the story, I found all these different things about the, the Shunammite woman that, that made it remarkable and made me think this is a big reason why this story is in here, this unnamed woman who just is called the Shunammite. But her story makes it into the word, and, and it's there for us to, to learn from. And how many of you guys know, like when Paul said all scripture is, given for, is good for teaching and correction and reproof, he was talking about the Old Testament. Like, he wasn't saying, I mean, he was prophesying that the, the full co content of scripture, in other words, the scripture that wasn't yet, the scripture that was, and the scripture that had already come. But at that time, when he said that to the church, they weren't like, okay, well, we'll sit around and wait till the Bible's written so that we can discard the old and start reading the new they would have realized, like, no, there's things in the old that we can learn from, that, that we can see, that, that they're a record of the way God is for his people. And, and so there's things in there. So we don't discard the Old Testament just because we have the new. We learn from the old, and, and we bring that into the context of the new. And so I was reading this story, and I thought, this is kind of odd, because Elisha is this amazing prophet, right? And, and yet he's staying in a woman's house, and he doesn't even know what she would want. He has to ask his servant Gehazi. The first thing he says to her is, should I talk to the king or the commander of the army on your behalf? And her answer is, she says, I live among my own people. She's saying, I don't need favor in your world. I live in mine. Like favor in your world does nothing for me. I live in my world. You talking to the king and to the captain, like what, that, that does nothing for me. And she, I don't think she was being rude. She was just saying, I don't need that. And so now Elisha's stumped. The prophet, he's stumped and he turns to the servant. He's like, what could be done? And Gehazi looks at him and says, well, she doesn't have a child. She doesn't have a son, and her husband's old. And I, I, I was reading and studying this, and I thought to myself, isn't it funny how in one story, the fact that Gehazi can see in the natural is looked at as a negative thing. Remember? They're surrounded by chariots of the enemy. And he's looking around, and he's panicking, and, and Elijah, the one who can't see what's going on in the natural, who's been in the woman's home and doesn't know that her heart burns to have a son, who can't look around and think, her husband's old, she doesn't have a son, there's probably something I could do for her. He, but in that moment, when, when they're surrounded by the enemy, he prays, and he says, Lord, open his eyes. In other words, show him the thing that I see that he doesn't. 
You notice, he didn't pray for chariots of fire to come and surround the enemy. He didn't get on his knees and pray, God, would you surround our enemies? No, he looked and he said, if we're surrounded by the enemy, then there's just something greater that he's not seeing. And he says, open his eyes, Lord, that he can see. And Gehazi's eyes are open and he looks and he goes, oh, wow, there's way more with us than there with them. But in this circumstance, in this instance, in this story, the fact that he can look around and see something in the natural, that's a good thing. And I was thinking about how often God will pair us with somebody that sees something differently than we do. I was thinking about my wife, Patty. Like, I, I read this and I see some things in the Word that, and she's like, how come you see that stuff and I don't? But then I leave our driveway and I have to call her sometimes and say, where was I going? <laughs> Literally, I have called her on the phone and asked her, hey, do you remember where I was going? And she always does. Or, or when it comes to organizing things here at the church or leadership stuff, like she's a way better leader than I am. She's so good at praying and interceding. Like if you ask Patty to pray for something, she says, I'll be praying for you. She's not just saying like, I will say a prayer and then forget about it. She's saying like, I will go and I will stand before the Lord and I will pray and I will intercede on your behalf. And sometimes it's for hours and no one knows. Or a lot of the things that we see happen here on Sunday morning are because of things she does that no one sees. And then I stand on stage and I give a word because I'm free to study the word while she's taking care of all that stuff. And people are like, wow, it's such a good word. And, and I, I just was thinking about that. And I'm thinking like, man, it's important that, that the people we spend our lives with are gifted differently than we are. Because if they're all prophets sitting in the room, seeing in the spirit, that no one looks around and with their natural eyes goes, you know, she could use a son. And I noticed her husband's pretty old. Elisha probably didn't even notice the age of her husband. He's walking around just kind of hearing the Lord and prophesying. And, you know, his thing is like, hey, I, I have favor because I've given prophetic words to people. I have favor with the king. I have favor with the commander of the army. It's like, I can go and use the favor I've earned with my gifting to bless you because that's the way that he thinks. And she says, well, that doesn't really do anything for me. But Gehazi says, you know, she could probably use a son. Her husband's pretty old. And Elisha knows that the Lord will bless her. And so he says, tell her to come here. And so Gehazi calls for the woman to come, and he's, Elisha's in the bedroom that she built because she so desired to be a place that would host the presence of God. And he says to her from that place, you're going to have a son. When we will make our homes, our lives, our persons, places where the presence of God can dwell. Things that had long been dead can be brought to life. Promises that were no longer even believed for can be fulfilled. And she looks at him and she says, don't lie to me. In other words, you know what? I've been disappointed for so long that I've kind of settled into my disappointment. I would rather not have another word than have another word and be disappointed again. Some of us have got to a place where we have forgotten the goodness of God for so long that we don't even want to hear another word from him. We would rather just live in our disappointment because we've become content in our disappointment and we've learned how to live in disappointment and we've kind of numbed ourselves to that disappointment to the point where to get our hopes back up again and then have them crashed seems like way more work than just staying where I am in that place of disappointment. 
And I don't know why God has me talking about this week in and week out for the past however many weeks. But I feel like it's because there's so many dreams that are about to be fulfilled. But a lot of times dreams being fulfilled starts with someone having actually hope in their heart. Because a lot of times it's faith that moves things and makes things happen. And faith is the substance of things hoped for. And if you have no hope, it's impossible to have faith. And so I feel like God is destroying that discouragement and disappointment because he wants hope to arise. Because from hope, starts, faith starts to come again. And then once faith comes, then there's something that God partners with. And, and, and then we start to see things manifest. And we no longer have to hope because what we hope for has now become reality. And so I, I just, I, I, please get this so that I can preach something else next week. <laughs> I'm kidding, kind of, but I'm, but I'm being serious. And I feel like the Lord really wants people to get this thing of, of having disappointment and discouragement shattered. Like if you're in a place right now where you'd rather not have another word, like you've lost sight of the goodness of God and you've settled for less than his best and you've settled into a place where discouragement is more comfortable than having your hopes broke again. I, I just, I'm telling you, like don't settle into that place of discouragement. Don't spiritualize your dysfunction and make it okay. Don't give a name to it and make it something that has permission to stay in your life. I'm telling you, like, don't tolerate something that he died for you to not have to live under any longer. And so, so Gehazi says she, she could use a, a, a son, and he says, he calls her and he says, by this time next year, you'll be holding your son. She says to him, no, my Lord. Listen to what she says, because it, it, it's so telling. No, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. In other words, don't even say that. And he's like, listen, I'm telling you, it's going to happen. And so, she makes a place for God. The presence of God comes. The presence of God speaks something better than her circumstance. And all of a sudden, something is conceived inside of her that couldn't be conceived before the word came. There's things that God wants to do in your life that you're one word away from seeing them begin, but oftentimes it starts with conception, and that conception is inside of you, and it's a long time before the world sees that word manifest on the outside. Some, some of us are, 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 are pregnant right now with something that God spoke into our lives, and we don't even know it yet because we haven't taken the test and we haven't missed that first time yet. We have no idea of what God's doing, but there's been a word spoken to your life, and there's something inside of you that's beginning to grow, and you don't even know it in this moment, but I promise you, if you would just take the words that God spoke over your life, take the words that you read in the word, and actually treasure them and hide them in your heart, you'll see that they begin to produce fruit. Even if you don't see it in the moment, there's something changing inside of you, and eventually you'll start to see on the outside what's been changing on the inside all this time. And so all of a sudden... She gives birth to the son, and now life is good because the, because the presence of God came and a word came, and she received something she, could, she couldn't receive in the natural, and she has this son, and I would imagine she loved that child so much. Every time she looked at him, it was a reminder of the faithfulness of God. Every time she looked at him, it was a reminder of the promise of God. Every time she saw him come running or she heard his footsteps in the hallway, she would remember that he came because a word of the Lord came because the presence of God was resting in our house. And all of a sudden, he goes out to his dad one day when he's about 10 years old, and he says, my head, my head. And dad does what so many dads do. He tells a servant, bring him to his mom. 
And, and listen, we laughed, but I was reading that and I thought, how many dads out there have passed off dealing with things with their children to the mother? And I think it's time for dads to be the one that rather than sending them to mom all the time, hey, there's some things, send them to mom if you feel like that's what you're supposed to do. But don't entrust the well-being of your child simply to their mother. You play a part in that. It's not always the wife's responsibility to teach things. They need things to be taught and modeled by you as well. I hear a lot of women saying amen. <laughs> no, I'm serious though. Don't, don't pass off the responsibility for raising your children in a godly way to the mom while you're out working. There's a time for that, but make sure there's also a time for you pouring into them, you sowing into them, you modeling and leading by example by the way that you live your life. And so he comes out to his dad, he says, my head, my head, and his dad says, take him to his mother. And so they, they, they take the child to the mother, and the mother does what moms do with a sick child. She takes that boy, and she wraps him in her arms, and she holds him on his lap, and she holds him there for a while, and then he dies. And I was, as I was reading this, I, I thought, I, I want to look a little bit and, and just take some time this morning to look at the way the Shunammite woman responds to the death of a promise, to the death of something that came by the word of the Lord. To the, to, the, to the death and the dying of something that she treasured and that came as a result of God speaking into her life. And, and so the, 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 um, if, you have a, if you have your Bibles, uh, or if you have your Bibles open, look down here and, and, and look at verse 20. It says, when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her lap until noon and then died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and return. He said, why will you go to him today? It's neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, it will be well. You notice that the first thing she doesn't do is start to find someone to blame. She doesn't run out to her husband and go, what did you do to my boy? She doesn't run out to her husband and start screaming at him for him not paying attention or not taking care of their child or not noticing sooner or not helping or not being present. Listen, just because we just encourage you to be present in your child's life doesn't mean you not being present is a reason for someone to point fingers at you and blame you for everything that goes wrong. She doesn't do that. She doesn't look at the servant and, and try to find something wrong with the servant. She doesn't start to blame herself. There's some people in here who have seen some things happen in their lives, and you haven't got past it because you haven't got past trying to figure out the why and run to the who. And you've been busy trying to find somebody to blame, or maybe the enemy's helped you find someone to blame, and that person is you. Because you got to know, as a mom, you have to feel like, I should have done more. I mean, my child was alive when they brought him to me, and now he's dead. And all that I did was hold him in my arms. Maybe I should have done something. Maybe I should have put a cloth on his head. Maybe I should have given him something to drink. Maybe I should have given him something to eat. Maybe I should have done this. Maybe I should have done that. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But the truth is, you didn't. And the boy's dead. 
And we're so busy sometimes trying to find the person that's responsible or the person that's to blame that we forget that even if we could find the person that was to blame, we battle not against flesh and blood. They're probably not the problem to begin with. They're the embodiment of the problem. They're the the persona of the problem. They're the physical manifestation of the problem, but they're not the problem. Because we battle not against flesh and blood, but against spirits and powers and principalities and forces of wickedness and darkness on the earth. Are you guys awake this morning? I'm telling you, listen to me. Quit spending all of your time trying to find who you can blame when something happens. We've got ministries that will help people figure out who to blame. In the church. If you don't want your toes stepped on, just pick your feet up and put them on your chair and tuck your little arms around your knees. No, I'm being serious, though. In the name of God, we have ministries that are, that are set up to help people find the person that's the problem. The person. She doesn't spend a minute trying to figure out who's to blame. She decides one thing. You notice another thing she didn't do. I noticed this. She didn't stand out in the room and shake her fist at heaven and blame God. She didn't go into, why would you do this to me? She didn't start looking around the room and see the effort and the time and the energy she put into building that room that would be a place for his presence to rest and for his, the, his, man of her, his appointed man to rest and say, after everything I've done, how could you? So she doesn't blame the husband. She doesn't blame the father. She doesn't blame herself. Because she realizes, what would that accomplish even if I was to discover that my husband should have sent her, him to me sooner? What would that change? What would it change for you to discover the reason? What would it change for you to find out the person when the answer has nothing to do with them and everything to do with him? So she takes the boy, and I love what she does. She doesn't put him on their bed where her and her husband actually did what was necessary to have a child be brought forth. She doesn't put him on that place. We would say that's the place where he was conceived, but I would say she brought him to the bed where he actually was conceived, which was the bed that was in the place where the presence of God spoke the word that made that actually happen. You may think that the physical thing is what caused it, but I'm telling you that it was the word of the Lord that made it possible or the physical could happen over and over and over and over again and nothing changes without his voice. So she brings him in there, she lays him on the bed, and then she shuts the door. She says, I know that the answer is found in the presence of God. I'm going to put that problem in that room and I'm going to shut the door. Some of us would do really, really well to take the thing that we think has died, to take the problem, to take the issue, to take the relationship, to take the past, whatever it is, and place it in that room, place it in the presence of God, and then shut the door. And, and not run around telling everybody about what's going on behind the door. 
because she walks out and she says, I need a donkey and I need a servant. And her husband says, why? Because I got to go see the man of God. He says, why are you going to see the man of God? It's not the Sabbath. It's not the new moon. In other words, right now is not a normal time for this to happen. What's going on? She looks at him and says, it'll be well. It will be well. Not, well, there's a death. Not, there's a problem. It's not saying there isn't a problem. If there wasn't a problem, she doesn't need a donkey and a servant and to go find the man of God. But you notice her problem, her fixation and her focus is not on the dead kid behind the door. It's on finding the one who has the answer to the dead kid behind the door. And she's so consumed with that that when her husband says, what's going on? She says, it'll be fine. Some of us, if someone asks us what's going on, we don't say it will be fine. We tell them why it won't be. And then we tag a little Christian phrase on there because we start to feel guilty and we say, so pray. Tell them all the reasons it won't be okay, but then, well, but you know, but God is able. What doesn't sound like you believe God is able because your focus seems more on the dead kid behind the door than on the one who can bring him back to life. Because you just talked for 25 minutes about the problem and then taglined it with the answer. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So you've just opened your heart up through your mouth and showed us that actually what's going on inside of you and what you're aware of and what you're fixated on is the problem rather than the answer. But because you, 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 you believe enough to feel guilty about not believing Some of us believe enough to feel guilty about not believing, but not enough to actually believe. He says, so we, we would talk for an hour to anyone that asks, but especially to someone close to us. <clears throat> I'm not saying there's not a time to talk to people that are close to you, but I am saying there's a time not to sometimes. And maybe in that moment she realized, you know what? My husband doesn't see what I've seen. My friends don't see what I see. My coworkers don't see what I see. My Facebook friends don't see what I see. And so if I talk to them, I'm going to get an answer from them that's from a perspective that I don't need. Because I already know the answer. The last thing I need are other answers that aren't the answer. The last thing I need is for someone to tell me their story of what happened when their child had that same thing happen to them and how badly it ruined their life. The last thing I need is for someone to tell me about how when their marriage went through that, it never got better and it died. I don't need to hear that. The enemy's telling me that all day long. I need to hear from somebody that there's an answer or I need to hear nothing from anybody because I already believe there's an answer and I'm fixated on him and that's where I'm going to the answer. I've shut the door on the problem, not forever, but I've shut it for now because I'm going to pursue the presence of God because I understand the thing that will change everything is the presence of God. I don't need another person's opinion in this moment. I don't need you to tell me how badly it went for you when you were in the same situation. I don't need a support group of people who have been destroyed by something to make me feel okay being destroyed. I need people who are going to tell me about the one who came and destroyed the destroyer. I need some people who will look at me and say, yes, but God. I need some people that'll look at me and say, 
the answer is greater than that problem. I need some people that believe that Paul, Saul can become Paul in a moment. I need to make sure that my theology has room for the God who speaks and what was darkness becomes light to still speak and what was darkness to become light. I need to make sure those are the people that I'm talking to. And sometimes, even if those people are around me, I don't even need to talk to them because I've already settled in my heart what the answer is and I'm pursuing the answer. And right now, I love you, but I don't need to talk to you about my problem. I already know the problem and I already know the answer. And so I'm going to the answer. I'll be back later and the problem won't be a problem anymore and then we can talk about it. Oh, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I can feel it. Just listen to me. You show me a support group in the Bible for people whose lives have been destroyed by something, telling other people how their lives are going to be destroyed and how to deal with the destruction. You won't find it. You know what you will find? You'll find a bunch of people in a room when someone's in prison praying for them to be released. You'll find a bunch of people when someone's died praying for them to be resurrected. You'll find a bunch of people when something's gone wrong praying and seeking the one who can make things right. Just make sure that support group isn't supporting the power of the enemy. You just make sure that life group is actually speaking life into things that deserve to live. So she looks at her husband and she answers, not it is well, and not it isn't well. She says it will be well. What's she saying? She's saying, you know what, there is a problem, but I believe there is an answer, and right now I'm living in that space in between the two. But rather, and so in this moment, she can focus in one direction or the other, because she's living in the tension of a dead boy, but a promise from God. Some of us are living in the tension of something that we think has died and a promise from the Lord and where we choose to put our attention and our focus and our pursuit will determine the way that we speak when people ask us how things are going. She turns her back to the closed door, to the problem, to the issue. She looks forward towards the answer and says, I have found the answer and I'm going in pursuit of the answer. So anybody that asks me between where I am and where I'm going is going to hear this. I, it's, it, it's going to be well. It will be well. Hey, how are things going with you? Right in that moment, you have a chance. You have an opportunity to choose. Which one am I going to turn and face and glorify with the words of my mouth? This isn't about living in denial because maybe it is, but it's choosing which one I'm going to deny. So do I turn my back on the dead child in the room and turn myself towards the answer, which is the presence of God and the pursuit of the Lord, and let what I speak be from that place? Or do I turn my back on the presence of God and the word of God and the promise of God and turn my face towards the dead child and start to speak about the dead child? And in that moment, she says, if I'm going to talk, it's going to be about what I believe God will do, not what I haven't seen him do yet. If you're in that place between something that appears to have died or has died and a word and a promise of the Lord, I promise you, you can speak from belief in the answer or you can speak from belief in the problem. But one of those will dominate your thoughts. 
One of them will dominate your heart, and one of them will come pouring out when you open your mouth. And if you want to know which one it is, ask some people around you. No, I'm serious. Like, that's why we need people around us that love us enough to be honest with us. Like, if you really want to know which one you're focused on, just go find five people that know you and love you and hear you talk and ask them and say, hey, I'm just curious, when it comes to this situation, you, you've been around me, you've heard me speak, you've probably heard me say things that I'm not even aware that I've said or I forgot that I've said. Do I seem like I'm more focused on the ability of God to transform this situation or what was done wrong? Which one do I, when I open my mouth and speak, which one comes pouring out of my heart? And if it's not the answer you want to hear, it's not to stop talking. It's to stop focusing on one thing and start focusing on the other so that when you talk, what comes pouring out is the belief in the answer. It will be well. And then... She goes, and I love this. She just said, it will be well, when she gets to the answer. You guys gotta remember that the presence of God was found in certain places back then. They couldn't get alone, and the presence of God be in them and around them and upon them when they got alone. But I am saying, like, sometimes it takes a literal pursuit of getting alone, going off to a place, and being with him to hear him speak. Well, God can speak anywhere. Yeah, he can. But sometimes he doesn't want to waste words on people who aren't ready for him to speak. And so he's quiet until we actually make ourselves quiet. And he realizes they are ready to receive a word from me, and it's not just going to be wasted because I value my word so highly, I'm not going to speak until they're ready to hear. But look what happens, and I love this, and, and, and I'll close up with this. And... <sighs> She just gets done telling her husband it will be well when she gets to the place where the presence of God is, when she gets to the answer. He says, is it well with, go, he tells his servant, he says, I see the Shunammite woman, go and ask her, is it well with you? Words just came out of her mouth a little while ago, it will be well. Now he goes and says, no, ask her, is it well? Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? What's he saying? How are things with you that knows what's going on? How are things with your husband that doesn't know what's going on? And how are things with the child that's dead, laying in a room? How are you looking at yourself? How are you looking at the ones around you? And how are you viewing the problem? What's your perspective right now? He wants to know. And she says, it is well. A little while ago, when she took off in pursuit of the Lord, in pursuit of his presence, she said, it will be well. What's she saying? She's saying, I found the Lord. I've found his presence. I've got alone with him, and he came, and he spoke. I've heard the word of the Lord, and it's okay. Not my son is alive before the first report comes that her son's alive. In fact, the next report would come that he, no, he didn't get up. We did the thing that you said to do, and we didn't see immediate results. That's about to happen. Go lay my staff on the boy's face, 
goes and does it, comes back, says, we did it, nothing happened. She's about to hear that being obedient to what the Lord says wasn't going to bring an immediate response that she wanted to see. And yet before she even sees him alive, never mind goes through another disappointment, she knows, I've got the presence of the Lord. I've heard the word of the Lord. I have everything that I've looked for. I have everything that I've need. And so, yeah, it was going to be well, but now it is well because I have him. And I'm not going to wait to see what he does to give my answer. I'm going to start believing it is well because I've found the Lord. I've heard him speak. So I want to pray for anybody. And I, we've been doing this. Oh, but I just feel like the Lord is so after this stuff because for what he wants to do, you're going to have to deal with the things that are happening right now so that you can clear up the mental space to actually enjoy and live in and process the promise. And so if there's anyone here who you feel like a promise of God died, because that's what that child was to her. More than just a physical child, it was a promise of the Lord. It was a word of the Lord. If you feel like a promise of the Lord has died in any area, in your relationships, with your children, with your spouse, in, in just the way life has gone. And disappointments come and things have happened. And maybe you've been spending all your time trying to figure out why and who to blame. And I feel like the Lord would say to you, stop trying to figure out who to blame and put your eyes on the one who defeated death. Stop trying to figure out why that thing died and put your eyes on the one who swallowed death. Because if that's you, I just want to pray for you real quickly. And we ask you to stand, not because like it makes the prayer reach you, but it's just a positioning of your heart before the Lord and saying, I need this, God. And it's, a, it's, a, it's a recognition. Yeah, just stand up right where you are. There's people standing. Just stand up. We're going to pray. If you feel like something died, you feel like something's been destroyed. You're in that tension of there's a dead kid in the room, but there's a living God on the throne. You're in that place. I just want to pray for you right now. I'm not even praying for that thing to change this second. I believe it's already been changed. You're just waiting to see the manifestation of it is finished. I'm praying for you in the moment and in the middle and in the tension and in the days that come between now and the dead boy getting up and walking out of the room, that your focus would stop being on the, on the problem and that it would start to be on the answer to where when you open your mouth and speak, what comes pouring out of your heart is the goodness and faithfulness of God. And you could look at somebody long before the dead kid gets up and you could say either one of two things, either it's going to be or it is well. So, Father, for every person standing, would you just draw them into your presence, God? God, let them find time to be alone and just pursue you and seek you and shut the door on the problem. Shut the door on the thing that died. Shut the door on that and let that be and go find you. And stop sitting in the room with the problem and looking for who to blame and leave that problem there in the room and shut the door and go pursue you. And not stop until they find you and you speak. And once you've spoke, God, that our hearts would become so convinced of your truth that our answer would be, it's well. 
not the thing changed, not my son's back to life, not, well, this and this, and it will be if, and God, and maybe, and all this stuff, none of that stuff. She hadn't seen the first thing happen yet, but she knew, I found the Lord, I've heard the word of the Lord, I've heard the God speak, and so now it is well. Because I'm okay in the waiting. I'm not going to put living my life and enjoying my life off until the answer comes when the answer already came. I'm going to trust in that tension in between. So, Father, for every person that's standing, whatever it is, God, whatever it is that's in that room that threatens to be the thing that takes their attention, would you help them, God, to just, in the, in the spirit, to shut the door, to turn their back, and to walk towards you, and to trust you with what's behind the door. In Jesus' name, amen. 